Welcome to your Locked On SEC Football Podcast. Support on your Locked On SEC Football Podcast comes from Manscaped, number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. You may have seen them on Shark Tank. Manscaping offers precision engineer down there. They've got it all, 20% off and free shipping with the code LOCKEDON at manscaped.com. That's 20% off at manscaped.com with the promo code LOCKEDON. Man, we've still got transfer portal news. Uh, with Chris Landry, I'm Dave Hooker. We're going to get to that. And also, uh, some big picture uh, SEC uh, stories that we'll look at. Which coach gets the most out of his team uh, from an X's and O's standpoint, from uh, maybe having less talent than other teams? And, and how can a team, we've seen it in Florida and LSU uh, earlier uh, in the 80s and uh, up until – uh, the early 90s. How can they struggle for that long with all that they have? And now we're seeing Tennessee go through the same thing. But let's start with the newsy news of the day, which Chris Landry named, which I've, I've officially adopted as an awesome name, Chris. Um, let's start. I'm creating bad habits for you. I'm a bad influence on you. I really am. Uh, I like a man of your esteemed value copying me on Newsy News. Oh, man. <laughs> well, everybody uses news and notes. This is different. <clears throat> That's it's true. creative. It's good. I like it's, it. It's good. Okay. Yeah. So we, we're in camp. Every single a camp should be up and rolling now, and it is. And you got a guy at Georgia who was a four- or five-star recruit, depending on who you look at, he was a solid contributor in 2018 as a freshman. Brenton Cox, um, an edge rusher, my goodness, and he's entered his name into the transfer portal. I, do we know everything that's going on there? Because this is odd. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I think we do. And when it happens right now, there is more to the story. And let's remind everybody, he was arrested in April on marijuana-related charges. So. And, you know, he was, he had a one, facing a one game suspension. Uh, look, I mean, it doesn't, um, you know, it, it, you can pretty much connect the dots and say that there's some issues there. And obviously something else came up. Um, and he's not happy with the fact that the disciplinary action, um, was going the direction that it was. I, I think that this was probably something that is mutual. Um, that, uh, you know, and that's why I think he's leaving. And so, uh, he is a five star guy and he's used to things going his way and, uh, he's gotten into a little bit of trouble. Now, you know, we can sit there and say, wait a minute, you know, in today's society, we've had the whole talk, marijuana is not the, listen, I don't, I don't even care to go down that path. The bottom line is he can't do it. And in, in, in today's football environment and until that changes, um, that's that. It's no different than if you were a guy that uh, consistently missed meetings or, you know, I mean, there there's some issues there from a discipline standpoint that they went down the path of trying to, you know, correct him, you know, and he didn't like, I guess, how he was. So, again, there, there goes the modern-day world where, you know, uh, I, I get it. I'm a five-star guy. You know, I'm supposed to be treated special. I'll just go somewhere else. I, you know, that's that's my take on what probably happened. It's uh, being a little presumptive there, 
but just based on experience, I don't think I'm far from inaccurate on that. I'm not saying that um, that, 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 that that Georgia, you know, did everything perfect, but I know this. I know he's a great player. I know they signed him for a reason. I know he played well last year. He was going to be a big part of what they were doing, and yet he's basically leaving. Well, he's leaving because he's resisting how they're handling him, and which is probably with some disciplinary action that undoubtedly he needs, and he's just uh, not willing to go forward with it. So, Brendan Cox, uh, there's a really good edge rusher out there. A little bit late. I mean, outside of the – I'm trying to think. There, There's some schools – there's a handful of them. Most of the quarter system schools are, and as he goes in the portal, we'll see what happens there and what they um, determine on him. But let's let's say they give him immediate eligibility. Um, if you're not in the quarter system, which is basically most of the Pac-12, and again, there there's some others on the semester system. Semester has started in many places. Classes have started you know, particularly in most places that are on the semester system, or, you know, just a couple of days from starting, which means that he's not going to be playing football this year, most likely, unless he goes to one of those um, quarter system schools. I usually side with the kid, but my goodness, you're at a school with fantastic facilities. You're playing for uh, a championship this year. Uh, You had a fantastic year. This is where the whole transfer portal. And I almost hope he's not able to play immediately, to be honest with you, Chris, because this is a case where you're just saying, you're throwing up your hands and leaving. This is not a case where it's a coaching change or even your quarterback and your second string. It's none of that. So I just... Unless there's something I don't know, Correct. I don't have a lot of I don't have a lot of sympathy uh, for the young man. There's a, a receiver. And I was just, I mean I, I I usually side with the kids, but I, I can't this time. Uh, LSU sophomore wide receiver Terrence Marshall uh, took a tremendous leap as you wrote on LandryFootball.com. You got to check out that site, uh, LandryFootball.com. You'll know more about the NFL, college, and recruiting. Six foot four, two hundred nine pounds, over a very serious high school leg injury, and it looks like he could be uh, one of the breakout players, maybe in the SEC this year. Well, he's certainly moving well this weekend. Watching him um, at practice, and he's really worked hard to not only get over the severe injury, but um, kind of adjusting to what they're doing in some of the RPOs and. Um, which, which really means, you know, a lot of side adjustment routes and being able to make good decisions on the fly. He's really embracing that, working really hard on that. So he's one of the many guys that are very talented and skilled at receiver for LSU that they're counting on to have a, a really good year if this offense is going to take that next step. All right. And then Kentucky, they want to throw it more. That makes sense after losing Benny Snell. The question is, uh, can they, pull that off, and how drastic of a philosophy change is this as they get in the can? Well, I don't think it's going to be a big, big philosophy change on the style of offense. It's just, you know, they're going to want to throw it more out of it. Obviously, the way they played defense last year, that allowed them to stay in a lot of one-possession games either way. So they could stay committed to the run. There are two things that I think they're looking at. 
you if your your defense, which I don't think is going to be as good. It'll be a good defense, but it won't be as good. When you lose a Josh Allen in particular, you you you're going to take a step back. So you've got to be able to do more offense. You've got to get more out of the passing game. Now, I do think Terry Wilson can improve as a passer, but I don't think he's a, a, a pass-first guy, which is why, I, while I think Kentucky will have a good year, um, listen, I, I think expecting them to repeat what they did last year is completely unrealistic, and I don't think it's a really good fit. Now, in terms of receiver weapons, if they can get the ball out, a lot of bubble screens and – Work a lot of run after catch options to Lynn Bowden, um, A.J. Rose, um, you know, uh, can be guys that can be effective as, re- as, uh, as receiving options for them. Um, you know, Bowden, I think, in the slot can be a really good player, and Rose can, can be good effective out of the back there. Isaiah Epps is coming off a foot injury. So I think those guys are going to be really key. Now, I know the, the Bryce Oliver kid, and I mentioned this as well, had a really good spring practice game. So they've got some weapons, not real deep, not certainly of the upper-tier schools in terms of receiving weapons, but they've got guys that can make plays. But it's going to be about the short passing game. Uh, that's going to be key. Get the ball out of the hands of Terry Wilson very quickly. That's what they're going to have to do on offense. It's going to be not a different-looking Kentucky team. Stylistically, it'll be about the same, a little bit more passing, same look defensively, just not as talented losing some key guys, which is why I think they'll be down a little bit relative to last year. Not, I think, going to a bowl game, but I don't think they're going to get to that nine-win area. No, nah, I don't think so either. Um, and then if we did a list of players uh, that absolutely could not get injured, he'd definitely be on the top ten, redshirt senior quarterback. Kelly Bryant left Monday's practice with a strained hamstring. Um, they've, they've said it's not serious, according to head coach Barry Odom. But so we'll assume that's the case. Uh, but what do they have behind him if something were to happen? Well, it's Taylor Powell because right now the TCU transfer Sean Robinson's eligibility has already been denied. So it's going to be Taylor Power at this point, and uh, that's a that's a big drop as you mentioned. Um, you know, losing Drew Locke off to the NFL and having Kelly, he's he's going to already be looked at as kind of a team leader and he's going to make their offense go. Everything's going to kind of emanate from him. Um, you know, also had uh, Albert O, had a little bit of a strained knee issue. Doesn't seem all that bad there. We'll see. I know the reports out of there from one of the news reports said that uh, they didn't seem overly concerned. That's kind of the latest uh uh, reports there, but there's no doubt that they need to, they need to, both of those guys healthy along with Larry Roundtree at running back for Missouri to have the type of season that I think they could potentially have. I've touted them as not the necessarily the third best team in the East, but the best chance of finishing third in the East this year when you look at what they have coming back relative to the schedule they have to do it against. For example, South Carolina, much more difficult schedule. Tennessee, probably not as good at the line of scrimmage. Kentucky taking a step back. I, I think Missouri is, um, to me, a solid-looking number three finished team in the East, even though you could debate whether they're the third-best team. It wouldn't surprise me if Missouri lost to South Carolina and still finished third in the East. Yeah, uh, if you look at South Carolina's schedule, that's – 
quite possible. Coming up, which coach gets the most out of his team? How can traditional programs uh, fall on such, such hard times? And we'll discuss that. Uh, Stay tuned. You're locked on SEC Football Podcast. He's Chris Landry. I'm Dave Hooker. More after this. You are locked on SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back. You're locked on SEC Football Podcast. Which coach gets the most out of his team? We kind of did this with the Big Ten a little bit. And, um, you know, it's funny. We probably could make an argument, Chris, for Nick Saban, but he's got the most talented team, too, so that's no fun. But which which coach, though, do you think gets the most out of his team in, in terms of maybe not having as much talent as the other programs? Well, everything is relative, and even though he gets the most talent, he is the best coach. He is the, the, the best developer of talent. And I don't like to dismiss guys who get great talent, also develop them well. So I think it's Nick Saban uh, in any category there, and 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 really not even a close second. But you know, there, let's acknowledge some other people that I think do a really good job of developing players. Um, I think near the top of that list has been Dan Mullen, mostly off of what he did at Mississippi State year in and year out. He's only had one year at Florida, but you could see already the impact that he's had there. So he would rank very high. I think Mark Stoops consistently does a nice job. And again, doing a good job at Kentucky is going to look a little different. I think Derek Mason is doing a very good job at Vanderbilt, getting a lot out of what he has. Still probably going to finish seventh in the East. So how can you vote for a guy like that? Well, very simply, he's the resources or the worst in the SEC in terms of facilities. So, I mean, I think those guys are the best. I think Barry Odom's done a pretty nice job. I think Jimbo Fisher is probably going to be, you know, may, you know, right there with Kirby Smart as second best in the SEC in terms of the ability. And, and Dan Mullen uh, as the best coaches that can get the most out of their teams. Uh, I think Jimbo did a phenomenal job uh, last year. I thought he won. I thought the performance against Clemson was an up coach. I thought uh, definitely up coached against LSU. He does a really good job. So I think those would kind of jump out at me um, at this stage. And I think there's a lot of, you know, incompletes. Um, I think Jeremy Pruitt is is um, probably more. I had this question asked to me the uh, yesterday on a on a show, and uh, you know it was asked me about Jeremy Pruitt. Um, is he more like Kirby Smart or more like Will Muschamp, being that all three of them are Nick Saban disciples? And I think he's more like Muschamp. I think he's recruiter. I don't think he's, you know, he's ever going to have Tennessee where, where Kirby has Georgia, but I think can get better. Uh, but is an incomplete in terms of his, you know, his, um, his, he just hasn't been long enough at Tennessee. But But based on his... Uh, abilities there. I think that, um, you know, I, I would probably put him as somebody that may not uh, ever kind of uh, achieve that level. I don't think Ed Orgeron is ever a guy that's going to get the most out of his team. I think Gus Malzahn's very inconsistent. Joe Moorhead, not enough sample size. I don't think Matt Luke's a, a guy that fits that category. Uh, I think um, Chad Morris is, is a guy that can be uh, – 
a really good offensive innovator, but I don't think you're going to see them make real strides other than perhaps occasionally get to fourth best in the West. So that's kind of a rundown. You know, Will, I think, is is a recruiter. And, and I you know, listen, no one's ever won a whole lot at South Carolina. So there's expectations are not there. But uh, I think that in, in terms of getting a lot out of his teams, I, I think he recruits well. And he's probably overachieved in recruiting at South Carolina. But on the field, I think it's a little bit to be desired. Who have I not talked? Well, I think Kirby is recruited well, and I think he's he's coached well. I think he's done a phenomenal job. So I think all in all, um, a really good group and some unproven's or some incompletes due to the, um, in some cases, limited sample size as head coaching experience. Coming up, you mentioned Tennessee. We've seen them struggle for a decade now. Other programs had done the same how can that happen with all the resources we'll get to that stay tuned you're locked on sec football podcast he's chris landry i'm dave hooker more after this you are locked on sec football part of the locked on podcast network your team every day welcome back you're locked on sec football podcast uh there have been a few programs uh, over the years, if you want to look at uh, LSU and and their struggles before they became uh, preeminent power when Nick Saban stepped in, uh, you want to look at Florida. I remember using the quote that Paul Bear Bryant uh, said that uh, once they get it together, everybody will be playing for second. Now Tennessee has struggled for a decade. Uh, Alabama's even had its its problems before Saban. So how? How can these uh, programs, with all of these resources, all of this tradition, how can you fall? I can see two or three or four years. How can you fall, excuse me, on hard times for 10 10 plus years? That to me sounds almost difficult to do. Uh, Chris, you've been around. Is there any common thread um, among those programs that have done that? Oh, absolutely. Bad, Bad coaching hires. Um, I think we've seen, and this kind of goes into my um, uh, my bailiwick here, and in, in a lot of coaching search work, I can't I can't tell you how many brilliant people, a lot of them with PhDs that are running universities, uh, athletic directors that are brilliant business minds, brilliant marketing minds, are and and in certainly the case in the NFL with owners, how many of them are clueless about coaches they they only know what they know which is kind of the reputation and they don't know who's really responsible for what and the people that can kind of sell themselves um you know as a, and, and self-promote often get jobs and they're not really good coaches what do every one of those hires uh have to do or, or you know have in common and, and let's by the way let, let's not just limited we're talking sec but uh, how about usc I mean, we, we can go anywhere. I mean, Notre, I mean, Notre Dame. I mean, wh- what do they all have in common? Coaches that are not good enough to get it done. And so you mentioned Alabama. Yeah, it was, was a, I mean, when the, when the mics were there, and I know Mike Price was only there for, for a couple of weeks and uh, one lap, one lap dance, but, um, yeah, he had a good time there. <clears throat> yeah, he did. Um, but, you know, you know, uh, Dubose, Shula, I mean, um, you know, look, I mean, they won games, but are you kidding me? That's the difference. Um, USC before Pete Carroll and since, not quite the same. Um, 
you know, so it has a lot. It has everything to do with it. Now, if you go into a situation like Florida, and I think you're talking about since Spurrier, because Florida was one of those unique cases that became good. And you mentioned the reference to the Bear Bryant quote. That was due to, and you can throw Florida, Florida State, and Miami. Those programs, first of all, Florida State and Miami were like close to getting the programs, football programs shut down in the 60s and early 70s. I mean, there were some good players. Ted Hendricks went to Miami. Fred Belitnikoff went to Florida State. They had individual players, but the programs were so weak and not sustainable and, you know, the funds weren't very good and facilities, there wasn't anything there. Well, the population boom in Florida changed everything, and it took years and years, but then you saw Miami's program get built on the heels of keeping all the kids in, in Dade County, you know, close to home, and they built a power there, and Bobby did it at Florida State. Florida was a little bit of an older program, had some sprinklings of success, like when Steve Spurrier, that is, was a player. Um, Carlos Alvarez, and they, they had a lot of they had a lot of good players, but they weren't league program. When the population boom took place, that's when people thought, uh oh. And Bear Bryant did that. They, in his quote, was, "They ever find the right coach over there? We're all playing for second. That was his quote. And, and of course, the guy that probably doesn't get the credit to build the infrastructure of the program was Charlie Pell. Because he came in from Clemson, and he built the – I've told this story before, but those that didn't hear it. When he was at Clemson, and he was a Bear Bryant guy, and he learned from Bear Bryant how to build infrastructure and build booster support and all that, he built the IPTA program at Clemson, which stands for I pay 30 a year as in 1000 and he built that. And he went to Florida. One of the first things he did is built the Bull Gators, which is – people that donate money to the program, football program, and he built that. Now, he also got both programs on probation, but he built the infrastructure, and then it was ready to blossom. Galen Hall you know, replaced him in an interim role, as, and then and obviously Steve came in to replace Galen. Uh, my mentor, Bill Orangeberger, got the job there at, at, as athletic director of Florida, hired Steve, and the rest is history. But what happened? Well, some hires that didn't work out, quite frankly. Uh, Urban Meyer was a really good hire. The other hires at Florida, not so good. Uh, you see their programs struggle. LSU, um, you know, um, had a lot of respect for Mike Archer. Wasn't probably ready for that job, but came cheap, and he was on the staff um, of Coach Orangeberger. Coach Orangeberger left, had a good relationship with the chancellor, and basically, the, he told the chancellor, you should hire Mike, and he did. And, you know, that's the way it goes. I mean, guys like Spurrier wanted that job, and, and, and LSU promoted Archer. Then after that, it was a disaster. The worst, the worst coach you can you – can, the worst coach maybe in SEC history, and not just LSU history, was Curly Hallman, was an absolute disaster. I spent about two months, and – I, I, he was such a dumb person that I thought my intellect was going down by the day, and I need to get the hell out of there. And I almost took a job at Michigan. Um, I decided not to, and then I left for the Cleveland Browns shortly thereafter. It was a disaster. Um, it, it, it ended with a fight he and I had over uh, Marshall Falk, 
who he didn't think could play running back at the SEC level. Uh, and I had only had recruited that kid and basically had him wrapped up for LSU and, you know, loved him. And, you know, not many people offered him in the SEC. Of course, San Diego State hired, uh, hired him, uh, recruited him. And uh, you know who recruited him at San Diego State, by the way? Uh, no. the, the running back coach at San Diego State at that time? None other than New Orleans Saints coach Sean Payton. What? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So he, you know, so anyway, that, that, I'm, I'm getting off there on a tangent, but, but that was bad hire. Then, then all of a sudden, Donardo was better, but, but not, not good. And then, you know, then Nick Saban, right hire. Cause here's what happens. You get the right hire. You have a little sign of success. You get people engaged in the program and let's just call it what it is. And you just hit on it. Everybody's making money now. When you get 30 million a piece per school off the SEC network, you're, you're bringing in some big money. And now everybody has good facilities. When I was at LSU coaching, you know, Coach Orange Barger and Coach Archer, of the 10 schools, because um, Missouri, uh, Arkansas, South Carolina, Texas and them, they, they were not in the SEC. There's only 10 teams. The worst facilities, and, and I'm not talking about Tiger Stadium, but the worst facilities football was LSU, and I've been to all of them. The Mississippi schools were better. Kentucky, the initial Nutter facility was better. Everybody had better facilities. Um, well, everybody's got good facilities now. So now the infrastructure is there. The, the desire to be competitive is there for everyone. But the, the answer is very simple. You make bad hires, it kills you. It sets your program back, and then if you don't have the right hire, uh, you're, you know, listen, you're going to be doomed. Now, in most cases, like at Vanderbilt, you're not going to have a lot of success. At Kentucky, you're going to have limited football success, but you can be successful relative to what you are. Um, so Rich Brooks did a nice job at Kentucky. Mark Stoops is doing a nice job at Kentucky. You know, at Vanderbilt, I mean, they haven't been like really, really good. I mean, Coach McIntyre did a nice job in the early 80s. Um, that's Mike McIntyre's dad, by the way. Um, um, you know, but, but you're not going to have sustained success. You know, Tennessee, what, what's been their problem? Well, you know, of course, Johnny Majors was replaced by Philip Fulmer, and that, that was controversy and the whole, you know, Philip stabbed Johnny in the back. For people who don't know, remember, Johnny had the heart attack and came back too early, and, you know, Philip had, had, had gained, you know, by the way, Johnny Majors was so disliked by his staff that, that every, and, and disliked by, by prominent booster people that, that Philip kind of parlayed that into his opportunity. Well, Philip did a great job, a better job of recruiting than Johnny did, and won a national title. Immediately, the the national championship year at Tennessee, the recruiting class immediately thereafter was not very good. And the, he let some stagnant coaches on that staff stick around, and the program got a, regressed a little bit. Not a complete rip, but loose ends, and you start pulling the thread. And I was actually in Tennessee, was doing – did some some commentary there at the time, and I talked about it. And boy, did I get the vitriol of the Valpin. I said this program is regressing, little by little, and it just got worse and worse and worse to the point where Philip needed to be replaced. But what did they do? They made a bad hire. Well, one hire that ended up being a 
you know, outside the box guy that pursued the job from, you know, outside college football in the NFL, Lane Kiffin. He leaves at a, at a weird time for a tough time for Tennessee. He goes back to USC, which I know that was his dream job. He went out, got some bad character recruits, and then they, Tennessee was at a bad way because they, it, it was past the hiring cycle. So they had to jump on a coaching hire. Couldn't get anybody. Got Derek Dooley, who, who wasn't ready for this type of job, and it regressed. And then, of course, you go on and Butch Jones, you know, regressed. So, look, I mean, I think when you make bad hires, it sets your program back. Um, you know, do I think Jeremy Pruitt's the best coach they've had there in a while? I do. Do I, do I think it's – can he compete with Dan Mullen and Kirby Smart? Probably not. Maybe he can beat them on a given day, but I don't know if the program could could penetrate them unless those programs take a step back. But it's about the coaching hire. I mean, it really is, Dave. And, uh, you know, you see successes. You know, there was a point in time when Auburn wasn't successful. Auburn was, you know, the king of the hill. Tommy Tuberville did a nice job, but he also had the advantage of going up against some guys that weren't very good. When he had to go up against Nick Saban, didn't do all that well. So it's all relative to who you are. Um, you put Nick Saban at LSU, LSU became the program, and it was certainly better coach than Alabama. Now Alabama's better coach because the guy is there. You know, um, I think that Georgia and Florida is in really good position and right now, and I think Florida is in their best position in a long time. I mean, I think certainly since Urban and even Urban Meyer, Steve Spurrier got a little stale towards the end. Urban Meyer obviously had some off the field issues, so all of that contributes to it. That is the biggest reason. It's bad coaching hires. Yeah, and it's it's amazing um, how one coach and you know I've I've seen it happen how one coach can throw everything off and um, it just I know you've been in um, uh, coach search processes and hiring processes and that sort of thing, but. I, do you never? Do you ever completely know from top to bottom whether a guy's a good fit or not? I I don't know. Do you? Well, you have to have administrative support, and and I'm gonna tell you how I do it. Um, and I've got something that that I'm working on right now that's gonna go up on LandryFootball.com where I break down evaluating coaches <clears throat> like evaluating a player. You, you hear me talk a lot about critical factors of a player. You don't just say I like this guy. Yeah, let's take this guy in the first round. You don't do that. Let's recruit this guy. No, you grade a player in all the critical factors relative to his position. So you grade a player. You put written verbiage that describes every critical factor, which there are about 20 at each position, and you put a number on them. And the number and the verbiage should correlate. If they don't, then you either wrote them up wrong or you gave them the wrong numerical grade. And you have to do that with a player. I do the same thing with coaches. It's different critical factors. Here's what you should look for in a position coach, a running back coach, a line coach, so on and so forth. And then coordinators. And then, of course, head coaches. So if you grade the, the process, if you grade the coach, the coach's skill sets and how it transfers, that's the key. Um, you've got to have the ability to do it because you're a good coordinator doesn't automatically mean you're going to be a good head coach. So you have to have the skill sets, but then you also have to have the commitment from the university. You know, here's the thing. 
<clears throat> if you put Nick Saban at Vanderbilt, he's not going to win championships there. You know, but if you put Nick Saban at Vanderbilt, if they were to hire a Nick Saban, that would mean that Vanderbilt's willing to spend all that money that they spend academics, which is great and admirable. Then, then you bet if they made the commitment and redid the facilities, then they could probably take Vanderbilt to a different level. They have no interest in doing that. So it's kind of a chicken egg thing. You know, to get a proven guy, you're going to have to give up a lot of, uh, you know, uh, uh, leverage, give a lot of responsibility and a lot of power and authority on doing things administratively. Well, why shouldn't you do that for the guy that is the up-and-coming coach that's really good? So if you're Georgia and you don't give Kirby Smart everything that he needs, how the hell do you know if he's going to be successful? You've got to do that. And so, you know, I think the best way to do it is to make the full-on commitment because if you do that, and you give him every resource, and he doesn't do the job, then you know therein lies the problem. But what do you do when you don't make that commitment, and you try to just, you know, jerry-rig certain things, and you try to do it uh, halfway? Well, then how do you know if the guy wasn't sufficient enough and that the other guy is going to be better? Well, the answer is you don't. And that, that falls uh, an awful lot into whether you can be successful or not. It is, it takes a village, they say, you know, to raise a, raise a kid. Well, it takes a, a whole administration in the NFL or in college to do things correctly. I mean, it is, there, there's no question that if you have interference from certain people, uh, sometimes organizations or programs are their own worst enemy, and sometimes it's not just support. Sometimes it's meddlesome. Texas will spend money. But they're very meddlesome. They've got too many cooks in the kitchen that you have to answer to, and it leads to problems. So even though it's got all the resources, if you don't have the right guy, I mean, and, and you don't have, you don't administrate that, well, then you're going to have problems, and you're going to underachieve, or you're going to, you may have success for stretches, then it's for stretches, it may fall by the wayside. So I think all those things are true. I mean, uh, all the, but, but it really comes down to the proper administrative support along with the good coach. And if you have the proper administrative support, it helps you to identify the right coach. And you gotta be willing to take some chances sometimes. Uh, Kirby Smart's unproven, probably got the job because he's a Georgia guy. But, you know, were you were you certain that he was going to be better than a Will Muschamp or anybody else? There's no there's no guarantee, but I can tell you what makes you a lot better is you're Jordan, and you're gonna you're gonna give the type of commitment that probably other places don't have, and the resources that gives them a much better chance to have success. Uh, that is your Locked On SEC Football podcast, and. We will talk to you tomorrow. We'll have the latest camp news and and uh, also kick around some other topics. Uh, today we talked about coaching hires and how uh, you bought them. You better be ready to lose because you're going to. It's your Locked on SEC Football Podcast. For Chris Landry, I'm Dave Hooker.